This is 69 The Podcast. I'm Dave Haynes. 69 has been covering the digital signage industry since the dawn of man, first online and now as a podcast. The goal on here is to make listeners aware of interesting companies, smart people, and new technology developments, all of them meaningful in making digital signage projects happen. I try to help listeners understand sometimes complicated subjects and why they should care. The podcasts are free and I try to get a new one out weekly, but things happen now and then. The 69 Podcast has been gratefully sponsored and supported since the start by Jeremy Gavin and the fine folks at ScreenFeed, the digital signage content store. ScreenFeed makes beautiful-looking, totally automated content for signage and digital out-of-home networks. Check them out at ScreenFeed.com. 69 has been around since 2006, and the publication and podcast are now owned by Spectrio, which provides customer engagement solutions for business. You can find them at Spectrio.com. Italy's M-Cube has quietly grown into one of the larger and more pervasive digital signage solutions providers on the planet. With deployments in more than 100 countries globally, across some 60,000 retail stores. It does mainstream retail and QSR, but the sweet and lucrative spot for Milano-based M-Cube is servicing the needs of luxury brands, something both Italy and France seem to have as specialties. M-Cube has grown both organically and through acquisitions, including the purchase of a French firm run by Bernd Hofstetter, who is now M-Cube's Paris-based CEO. In this podcast, you'll hear about how M-Cube operates in Europe and globally, industry trends, particularly in retail, and how it approaches and works with luxury brands in their bricks and mortar stores. Baron, thank you for joining me. Can you give me a rundown on what M-Cube is all about? I think there's a lot of North American listeners who probably aren't familiar with the company. Yeah, Dave, no problem. M-Cube is a company existing already for over 20 years, huh? We started uh, 20 years ago out of Italy with uh, mainly audio solutions for retail. And uh, five years later, so about 15, over 15 years ago, we moved very fast and very strongly to the digital signage growing market. And uh, we became over the years the leading provider in Italy. And then we bought... uh, different companies in Europe. And today, in 2023, we claim to be one of the top in-store digital solution providers uh, based in Europe, but with a global footprint uh, delivering to over 100 countries in 60,000 stores to 500 clients our digital solutions like audio, video, content, technology, and more and more as well, omnichannel. Would you describe what you do as being a solutions provider or an integrator? More the first one. We, 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 I would say that at the beginning, we were more an integrator and we become much more a full-service solution provider. We are moving more uh, on the first part of the value chain means customer journey, content development, uh, uh, because technology is, uh, I would say, uh, everywhere around and to fit the right solution uh, and good mix of the best content and the right technology and, of course, the power of deploy and service uh, is, uh, is the most important key success factor in this industry for the next five to ten years, what we think. What, was it a case where the company saw the opportunity to expand its services or they were kind of being pushed in that direction anyways by customers? Yeah, that's Dave. It's very often like that. The strategy you do afterwards, 
<laughs> so that means uh, that means uh, of course there were some global customers uh, who were pushing us uh, to deliver uh, video solutions uh, so that we move to the to video and as we have a lot of global customers especially in luxury uh, we are of course uh, a company who can deploy in over 100 countries uh, this kind of uh, digital solutions in retail so yes uh, uh, it is pushed by the by the clients uh, when you start, but of course over the years then uh, it becomes uh, 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 let's say a company where you add some parts where you are not so strong. So you buy from time to time some expertise from outside to complete your uh, value chain. Mm-hmm. So you're one of those companies that was acquired by Mcube you you were CEO of another company in in Belgium and France how did that go and I, i'm curious because it, it strikes me as europe is still pretty regional like there are particular companies that are strong in germany region in italy and france and and, and or spain but they're not necessarily pan european Yes, I come from a, a, co- a quiet company by MCube, yes. And uh, we had uh, the journey to integrate all that uh, companies we bought in the last two years, to integrate in the last two years. And of course, there are still uh, local champions in the German region or in the UK or in France, etc. But um, the tenders becoming more and more European or even more and more global. So uh, I think uh, uh, if it continues like that, uh, the pure local providers, they probably will have a bit more troubles in the next years to uh, grab the, 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 the business. We see really more and more European-wide or let's say over several countries in Europe tenders. And that's not easy, is it? Because of all the the different languages and and everything else. Yeah, but they've the, we have now uh, a position in every main important country in Europe. So uh, uh, I'm not talking about little countries like Luxembourg, but uh, in all main countries: Italy, Spain, France, Germany, UK, Netherlands, Belgium. We have a, a, a local team uh, where we deliver local, but as well European or global uh, solutions. Your company works a lot with luxury retail. How important is that particular vertical market to you guys? Of course, we uh, we have grown in luxury a lot. Uh, uh, I think we understand luxury uh, very, very well because this sector is extremely demanding. It's extremely global. Uh, it's extremely service-oriented. Uh, is uh, And there is still a lot to be done in the luxury sector, what we see. Yes, for us, it's important. Uh, that's the reason as well why we moved more and more to the content side uh, in the last years. Um, I think we are very fit for this uh, sector, yes. And it, it's a very different sector to approach as well. Like I, I get a sense that 
luxury retail wants to be subtle, has a kind of a minimalist bent to the way they approach digital in their stores. Yeah, totally. They are not approaching it from the technology side. They are approaching it pure from the customer side. Uh, that's what we love. That's what we know to do. Uh, it's a it's a it's a specific code what we say uh, in uh, in our business specific code when it comes to luxury it's a it's a yes it's a bit a different world to address to talk to to communicate to yes sure because a lot of the luxury brands emanate from Italy and France has it been certain. Have you kind of experienced organic growth because a lot of those companies are there and they see what others are doing and come to you? Um, of course, as we were strong or are still strong in Italy and we have uh, acquired a company in France, uh, we could uh, we have a good positioning. But we are now grabbing as well uh, luxury companies, uh, not only based in uh, Italy or France. So our our culture, our compensation, our uh, uh, interpretation of the luxury uh, challenges in terms of customer journey, it seems to be very appreciated, not only to the, to the Italian-based or French-based uh, luxury groups. It, w- it would strike me as an outsider, uh, not spending enough time thinking about it, that the budgets that these kinds of retailers have are quite different from what you would have for, uh, let's say, a fast fashion apparel retailer. Is that a fair assessment or wrong? Uh, it's at the end. It comes to the end. Re- re- return on investment huh? is not about for what we are not thinking so much in. Is the fast retailer having a lower budget than a luxury group? It's about return on investment at the end of the day. The solution you you we engineer we we design for our clients. They need to bring the the expected return on investment uh, in the in their stores or boutiques. So uh, no, I w- I would not really say that uh, luxury is uh, double the budget of a fast retailer or whatever. It really depends, uh, and at the end, it's the return on investment. I, I, it's interesting with one of your main competitors, and I'm sure business friends as well as Trison, uh, based out of Spain, they work a lot with Inditex. And there's a particular brand, Lefties, that has stores that are, I haven't been in one yet, but they, they look pretty wild in terms of the amount of digital in there. Is that something that you're being asked about, or is it would it be the opposite of how a luxury retailer would approach things? No, lefties is of course a, is of course an interesting um, an interesting case. I've been to the store, uh, one of the stores in Barcelona, Dave, and it's clear that in stores like that where you could expect uh, uh, a bit of digital, but when you see uh, the level of digital investments in the store, of course, it's really amazing. But it shows one thing screens everywhere the generation who go shopping today to lefties they are grown up with screens so uh and there is no no uh, way back i can give you a little anecdote 
on that. We had a client uh, five, six years ago, and they, they deployed uh, at this time uh, a 700 nits uh, uh, window screen in 200 stores. After five years, uh, the lady said, hey, Bernd, uh, now, five years, six years ago, we were the first. Now everybody has a, a, a window screen, much more. And the problem is that they are 2,000 or 3,000 nits. Ours is old-fashioned. I think we will stop. And I said, uh, of course, you can stop, but you will not be recognized anymore. What is the story? They invested in the new generation, in the, in the new technology with 4,000 nits uh, screen. So there is no way back. And lefties is one interesting case for that, Dave, that for me, there is no way back. Uh, food retail is very active at that moment with screens, for example. We said uh, years ago, food retail uh, is will perhaps not uh, invest anymore. There's no way back. More and more screen. screens everywhere. Mm-hmm. And what do you mean when you say there's no way back? There's no way back to less knit digital. Okay. There's no way back. There's no way back. It is, um, from, for, for us, it's clear that uh, perhaps there will be less stores, but mm-hmm. the, the, the investment per store on digital will grow over the years. We are totally sure of that. Yeah, I guess you have a digital native shopping crowd now that maybe you didn't have even 10 years ago. Because I can remember retailers screening out a store, like there were screens everywhere in a store, particularly for sports retailers. And then when they did a refresh, sometimes they would strip out a lot of those screens because they just realized it was so much noise. Have you experienced that at all? No. We have very few, few cases where the retailer has uh, not integrated in the next version of his retail chain of his concept, uh, not any more screens. Very, very, very few. I really okay. need to think a long time to find an example. I remember there was one or two in the last five years, but that's absolutely the exception. That's not the rule, not at all. For over a decade, ScreenFeed has been the reliable choice for beautifully designed, licensed content such as news and weather. We handle over 27 million requests a day to deliver dynamic content to 200,000 screens across the globe. Now we bring you ScreenFeed Connect, a no-code solution that makes complex content projects easy. Projects that used to take our designers and developers weeks became a to-do we could complete before lunch. The easy-to-use browser-based tool leverages pre-built data connections and ready-made widgets to give you the power to design with data. Create team member profiles, schedules, tenant directories, progress boards, featured products, or anything that leverages your data. Discover how Connect empowers you to complete projects faster at ScreenFeed.com. What's been your experience with interactive and retail? Uh, Not so easy. Of course, then the COVID uh, did um, did uh, not very well. Of course, to interactive technology uh, was somewhere a total stop. But again, restarting. It's again restarting. Um, we see again some projects uh, in some specific uh, markets, but it is not. Uh, it is not yet. Uh, 
it's not like what we imagined uh, 10 years ago when all, everybody said everything will be interactive in the store. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I've found that a lot of interactive efforts in stores just kind of sit orphaned. They don't get used unless somebody encourages them to use it. We, we, we think more about the interactive for, for example, omnichannel solutions for the, for the salesperson, to help the salesperson for the customer journey, so to help to upsell uh, in the store. But for the end customer, it's still not so easy to make use of the, these technologies. Yes, I totally agree with you, Dave. Right. So for a salesperson, it's like assisted selling. This is a tool he can use or he or she can use? Exactly. That's what, uh, what we are what we can offer, yes. When you go into engagements with a new client, let's say it's a a luxury retailer that you're not yet working with, what are those first questions you guys are asking? What we are asking? Yes. The the expected return on investment of a digital uh, solution Mm -hmm. because uh, it does not make sense to make technology for technology so it's the um, the benefit of the technology of the solution is the key for us this is absolutely key and do the clients have a sense of that because i've sat across the table from customers in my consulting days and and asked them why and a lot of cases they couldn't really quantify that more and more, huh? we have more and more technology to uh, understand uh, what could be the retu- return on investment of a digital solution. Um, it's always, we run always uh, POCs, uh, proof of concepts or tests or pilots. Uh, but you are totally right. When I look back 10 years ago, it was like, oh, we need to have a screen, Okay. But uh, today, this is really, really, really totally over. Is uh, what is the objective? What is the return on investment expected? What do we wanna really we achieve? Uh, and from there, it's the design of the solution, the integration of the technology in the customer journey. These are the most important points at the beginning of the of the discussions. Are you marketing your own technology or do you work with partners? Obviously, what on the display side, but do you have your own software? Yes, Dave, we are. One of our DNA is to have uh, our own platforms, audio and video platforms. So, uh, of course, if the customer says, I want to work with this uh, non-proprietary platform, uh, we can do that, but we are we preferring to run our service on our platforms where we have invested over the last uh, 15 years now. We have still a lot of uh, software development people in the company continuing to develop the platforms, uh, hosting and maintaining and make evolve the platforms. Yes, it's one part of our DNA, uh, our proprietary platforms, yes. Are you typically or most typically managing the networks for your retail clients yeah we are we are more and more integrated in the networks of our clients 
monitoring is becoming very, very important, of course. That was not so important years ago. Uh, that's now key. Proactive monitoring uh, is very, very important. Reliability and security is becoming now, uh, in the last two years, in big tenders, the security level in tenders is is only increasing, not decreasing, only increasing. The 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 the, the, um, the, the request for more security is increasing. That's clear as well. Yeah, I saw a comment from your president Manlio uh, that you were getting into some deals and replacing existing software vendors simply because you could offer the level of IS uh, IT security that they could not. That's totally true. We have won uh, two years ago, for example, one and a half years ago, a global deal where we replaced the existing provider. And the, the, the main driver of this client uh, was security level to enhance. Yes. Huh. You're operating, as you said, in north of 100 countries. How do you manage all that <laughs> do the deployment in places like china and india but in china we have an operation okay in hong kong we have an operation in north america we do it with a partner we are we have insta of course a network of in installation we have three hotlines in on the different time zones uh, so to cover we cover 24 hours seven days a week our our customers. Mm -hmm. China is a bit of a mystery to uh, a, a lot of people within digital science just because they, it's such a huge market internally. It, it, how do you compete in there? Or is it more a case of you have European clients who are expanding into China with uh, their luxury retail? Now we do both. We, of course, doing helping our customers from from Europe to uh, to serve and support in China. But we have as well a local business development team. Um, yes, China is a uh, is of course a totally different uh, place uh, in terms of competition, in terms of market uh, environment. Um, that's clear. But it's, a, it's of course, a, it's a huge market. So uh, we are there for a couple of years now and we are quite happy. When, when you're going into competitive situations in China, are, do you even know the names of the companies that you're competing with? Mm, now, yes. After some yeah. years, yes. Uh, at the end, uh, at the end... Uh, the, we can identify the relevant set, yes, of competitors in China, yes. And are they mostly domestic companies? Yes, mostly, yes. Mostly domestic, yes. That we would, ne you would never bump into in North America or Europe? No. Okay. For the technology, are you seeing trends in terms of what's interesting your customers? We see the combination of the online and offline world, which is uh, not only a trend, it's a real, real demand from our clients to um, prolong the uh, 
the uh, online uh, journey into the store. So that's something where we are investing. Uh, we have a special team on that. Uh, and, um, and we uh, uh, upsell our clients with this kind of uh, omnichannel solutions. Yes, this is one part. Well, then the LED, of course, uh, technology is becoming more and more powerful. Why? Because you can more better and better integrate it into the customer journey. Uh, I would say that's the two main uh, drivers for technology coming from uh, from our clients. Right. So when you're talking about omnichannel, it, it, it's this this whole idea of retail media networks. No, it is not the retail media. That's another subject we are looking now, uh, but. Um, it's about the clienteling, it's about the e-commerce in the store, this kind of uh, applications. The retail media, Dave, uh, we discussed it in Munich as well, is something which is uh, in Europe existing for years. Huh? Um, and, uh, and there is now a new dynamics huh, uh, of the retail media and, of course, we, with our stores deployed, we have a, a quite good positioning here on that. Okay. Would you envision third-party advertising going into uh, places like a luxury retail store? No, I don't think so. I think that there is sectors where retail media uh, in the store will not, will, is not applicable. It's not applicable because uh, there are retailers who want to manage their exclusivity of branding in their stores. So um, I was working before in the advertising industry, so uh, I know a bit the I know a bit this world. So uh, I don't think that in a, in a I don't see that even in five years in a luxury store that there is advertising of a of uh, of automobile or whatever don't see that. and most of what you do is luxury brands for for beauty for time pieces uh bags all kinds of stuff like that are, are do you deal with uh, automotive as well yes we have uh, as well now a team specialist on automotive uh we have uh one uh, one year ago, a huge tender for a global rollout for a for um, for a global company automobile. We are on automobile. Uh, we are moving very very fast. That's another sector where we see still a lot of business to be done. Um, telecom, we are strong as well. Okay. Uh, Food retail, uh, we are reshaping re, uh, it. Uh, of course, fashion is a bit down in Europe. Uh, we had, there is some uh, bankruptcies on fashion chains. So fashion is, of course, in Europe, not in a super shape. Uh, but automotive, uh, yes, is a, is, a, is a sector where we have acquired uh, a lot of experience in the last three, four years now, yes. You've mentioned, or we've talked a lot about luxury, but you, you also have QSR clients, correct? Yes, we have uh, in Italy, uh, 
QSR, we have in Germany QSR, we have in Spain a bit QSR, in France as well we have QSR, yes, yes, yes. Those are very different meetings, I suspect. Very different. QSR is uh, the subject is very often it comes to uh, franchisers and uh, there's a lot of franchise business out there for QSR, which which is again another world, not in terms of finally, in terms of technology. The technology is not a... It's not the subject. Huh? The menu boards is not a problem at all. It's, it's not a not a challenge. It's more the contracting and invoicing part, huh? where you have to where you have to work with a lot of franchises, single site, one by one, which is a bit different. Is your company and your development team looking at AI and how it can be applied to what you do? We look to that, of course. I think everybody looks to that. We have our ideas. How we how AI could um, improve efficiency for us? Uh, yes, Dave, we look to that. Sure. I'm curious about uh, North America. You, you you mentioned that you have a, a business partner over here. Is is the plan one day to establish an office here as well? We uh, we are um, we are of course thinking about uh, when you see your our geographic footprint, uh, being in Europe and in Asia, of course, you could say, hey, M-Cube, why you are not uh, covering the North American uh, market? Um, it's something where we have, uh, we think about, sure, but you want to do it right. That's very important because uh, America, of course, is a market in itself uh, and uh, we want to make it right if we make it with an own and operated uh, structure. Does it present a barrier at all that you don't have an office there, or do you have a? Can you can you talk about your partner? We do not have the feeling today that we do not get the global deals because we do not have a, a an own office and team in America. Okay, okay? so for us it is not um, let's say a downside. We see it. We see it if we move there more on a potential upside. It's a it's a nice to have, but not a need to have. But today, today it is uh, it is um, it is um, not uh, it's not a missing part what we feel uh, in our in our business, but we see that the the, the deals become more and more global. And that it would really make sense, of course, to to uh, have a, a strong team in America. Sure, I, I'm curious about marketing and getting your name out there. When you work with these incredible luxury brands, they tend to be very quiet and cautious. And I'm I, I I'm guessing that it's not often that they allow you to talk about your projects with them. That's totally right, Dave. Unfortunately, but that's the price to pay. But to be clear, well, luxury is um, is a very interesting and challenging uh, world. And um, to be honest, we do not need to do our marketing for that, uh, because when when the the people move from one brand to another. 
uh, and they worked with us in brand A and will work now in brand B. It's the best advertising we can have. Mm -hmm. Is there a store that you can talk about? And that once people say, well, what, what's, what's your kind of showroom or the, the one that you, you send people to if you can? Well, we can, uh, for example, in Milano, we have several stores of several global luxury uh, chains, retailers. When we do a store visit, mainly we do it in uh, Monte Napoleone in Milano. And then you see there the the power of the MCube Solutions life. Okay, so you once you engage with a prospective client, then you can hopefully get them to Milan and and show them around that way. Yeah. And you were based in Paris, correct? I'm based in Paris, yes. But you're back and forth all the time, I suspect. Yeah, um, of course. That's uh, I'm, but I'm based in Paris today, yes. It's nice, uh, nice to have two cities like that to uh, cycle between. Yes, very nice cities, Paris and <laughs> Milano. All right, uh, Baron, thank you very much for spending some time with me. Thank you, Dave. Take care. Thanks a lot. That's it for this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it and maybe you learned a thing or two. If you're new to 69, it's a podcast that's been around since 2016. You can click around the archive and find hundreds of conversations with smart industry people. If you're new to digital signage, you need to be reading 169 at 16-9.net. You'll find more than 8,000 posts by me and expert guest writers about this industry. 169 is not a press release republishing mill, like a lot of this stuff out there. If something makes it on 169, that means it matters in some way to the business. Everything about 169 is free. Great sponsors make my work possible, and the key one here is ScreenFeed, the digital signage content store. Check out all the curated and automated content available at ScreenFeed.com. 16.9, the blog and the podcast, are now owned by Spectrio, which does customer engagement solutions, most of that digital signage, for all kinds of businesses. You'll find them in the Tampa area and online at Spectrio. That's Spectrio.com. You'll find me working out of a sunny back room in my house, located outside Halifax, Nova Scotia, on the east coast of Canada. Thanks for listening. I'm Dave Haynes.